to his digital audio stream. But uh, if you've ever gone to uh, Cutting Through the Matrix, uh, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, which is up on the screen here, uh, this is Mr. Alan Watt. Now, Mr. Alan Watt is up in uh, Canada, He's on the East Coast, actually. He's a regular guest on shows like Alex Jones. He's actually got his own show on the Republic Broadcasting Network. Is that, is that right, Alan? That's right, yeah. I'm so good. All right. Well, without further ado, I'm going to turn down the lights. I'm going to let you talk to us and tell us your knowledge. And one second here. Turn down the lights. And Alan Watt, welcome to the Axiom Conference. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's a pleasure, in fact, to tell you to talk to people who are active and doing something and who are keeping themselves informed as to what's happening to their country and trying to do something about it because it's about time uh, that uh, people got up and challenged these massive pre-planned changes planned a long time ago like a long-term business plan uh, with implementation always happening on the date that was first uh, suggested or put down in writing many years ago. And the U.S. has been used really since World War II, I would say, as the, the financier of a whole international system uh, of socialism. And, of course, the last ones to be socialized and brought into it were the ones back home. In fact, the, the rulers neglected to inform the citizenry of the U.S. what their function was. And they've been used through, by their tax money, and by their military, and uh, uh, through rhetoric, of course, and deception by the media to fund projects abroad, which are really bringing a whole world into uh, this new free trade, as they call it, system, a system which is not free at all, it's not free trade, it's selective trade only for the big internationalist boys, but it's also going to open up the gates in the U.S. to incredible immigration from all over the world because part of the free trade agreement is to do with the unrestricted flow of labor and goods across uh, borders with the intention eventually of eradication of those borders. They can eradicate the borders and still contain you because you're going to be put into regions, as you well know. They've done this in the UK already and in some other European countries where they've done away with uh, the, uh, your county name on your address, address uh, or your postal code. All you need is your, is your street number, the postal code, the region, and that's how you get your mail now. And they want to do the same with the U.S., so everyone's been used for generations in the U.S., unfortunately, by internationalists that bypassed the general political arena, although they did put their own people within that arena. Uh, they didn't have to elect them, actually. They preferred to appoint people, uh, just like Carl Quigley said in Tragedy and Hope. They preferred to appoint them to top strategic positions in the Pentagon, in the area of trade, finance, and so on. Uh, so it doesn't matter which presidents they put in, sometimes their own, sometimes not, doesn't really matter. Uh, the high bureaucratic levels are really running the show. They know what their agenda is, they know their part in it, and they are there for life, regardless of the guys who are elected to go in. But we do know as well that some uh, politicians and some parties definitely know their, their role in it. And this is the first time I've seen in the U.S., um, so many appointees or SARS as the media first started coming out and calling them uh, for very good reasons because the new world order system is really a new Soviet in a sense. It's called communitarianism in other countries, but it really is a new Soviet system. Uh, it's so interesting to me to realize that Lenin talked about the length of the dictatorship over the, pro the proletariat, as he called the people, he said, oh, last about a generation or 70 years, then it would merge with the Western system. And out of this dialectic would come a new system, not quite capitalist and not quite communist. And what he's talking about is a new so, uh, socialist system uh, run by experts where gradually the rights were taken away out of the hands of free citizens until they're not free anymore. 
and where appointees will be put over communitarian areas to guide and, uh, and direct the system of your community. That's been pushed big time. And, and I noticed in, I think it was Napta Valley in the States, have already implemented uh, communitarianism from the, their own local councils. They're, they're putting it in full force. So, as I say, it's, it's not uh, very often I get a chance to talk to people who are really following this and what's happening, uh, who who don't know the whole picture. Very few people do know the whole picture. It would take lifetimes to go through it. It's so enormous. It's so huge. But we do know this, that all the treaties that are signed through the United Nations by all participants who signed on in 46 at the San Francisco Conference with the United Nations agreed to sell out the national sovereignty of all the countries. They were traitors. Every single country did that back then. And they also did say that they would implement all treaties passed to them by the United Nations. Uh, that is a, a big, big part of it. Because the United Nations, remember, is uh, not an elected body. We have not, it's nothing to do with the citizenry. No one knows anyone who's voted anybody into the United Nations. And yet it uses this term democracy all the time, and they want America to go off and fight for democracy using NATO and various other arms of the UN. But they're not democratic at all. They've said themselves that the New World Order has to be an authoritarian system and that we're in a post-democratic era uh, because uh, the citizenry themselves has too many factions fighting for different things and they can't get the job done. They can't get their plan worked out. Therefore, they bypass the citizenry altogether by putting an authoritarian system and they will direct society by experts and scientists and, and so on. Now, that must not be allowed to happen. You can't, once it's happened and it's on the books, my fear, because I've watched things like this before, my fear is that the citizenry always adapt so darn quickly to things they should not be adapting to in the first place. People generally th- think there's going to be one big final catastrophe and then the whole world's changed. No, it's done, it's done incrementally. And we adapt to things step by step by step rather than nip totalitarian measures in the bud as soon as we hear about them. Uh, the problem being, of course, that in the U.S. there has not been until recently organizations who are trying to keep their constitution. Uh, you don't realize, too, outside the U.S. that no other country ever came up with any constitution where the individual had rights. And because of that, many people have taken it for granted when the good times rolled, and uh, and they forget it when the bad times roll as well. They forget they're supposed to have rights because they have been trained since 9-11 happened uh, to simply obey authority. That's what all this war on terror is about, obedience to authority. You jump when they tell you. Um, so many planks of the, the new international code, which again is the loss of, of uh, rights and private property, by the way, uh, have been carried out already across different parts of the states. Uh, the word communism is never used, of course. But when you look at the war on the family, um, the distribution of redistribution of wealth across the world that's been coming out recently, they've been doing it for 50 years, but now they're, they're seeing it openly, the redistribution of wealth. That's your wealth. It's not the big boys at the top. Of course, they never do this. It's your wealth is to be distributed across the world. And uh, they, they say that by doing so, you bring up the third world countries uh, through the different trade agreements that are made with them and through the OECD departments at the world uh, organization level. Uh, at the same time, you have to come down to a post-consumerist society into a service economy, which you're already in, and go beyond the service economy into a sustainable society. That means you're going down to pretty well third world uh, national status. Hey, Alan. Yes. Um, do you happen to, uh, just offhand, off the top of your head, know the Titler cycle? The which cycle? The Titler cycle uh, from, uh, oh, I wish I had it in front of me. I, I was hoping you would know, actually. It was a man named T-Y-T-L-E-R, and he came up with a cycle of how a civilization, civilization starts. Mm-hmm. 
in in pretty much despotism. Yep. Gets religion, gets to a point, and then goes back into dependency. Yes, again, even that he took from Plato. Plato went right through the different cycles of uh, starting off as a, uh, an agricultural society, the same thing as the founders of the U.S. said. They did say uh, that uh, this constitution would only really work with an agricultural independent society. And uh, they knew that once the big cities came in and industry came in big time and people flooded to cities, that's when the big shysters and the money game get get at work, and they start to destroy the free rights of everybody else. Well, they knew that would happen. They'd already seen that happen in the UK and elsewhere, you see, back then in the 1700s. But Plato did talk about uh, the different systems that follow each other. And, and he said the founders of Italy, who were rugged, um, most of them were farmers, uh, they were the toughest ones of all. They also were a citizen army. They would be the army in times of war. And they had a high code of conduct. They said that's the only time you get a high code of conduct. Conduct It's when the people, the militia themselves, are the army. A standing army is pro- always a problem. It's always turned on the people. But he also said that this will go into a senatorial type of system. The senators eventually always become corrupted. And um, the... They, they will try to, not only for personal gain, uh, take the land off the people in the, in the rural areas. By the way, that's happening already under Agenda 21 in Canada and elsewhere. They've just announced in Australia that they're going to burn. No, this is in the papers, by the way, yesterday. They're going to burn people off the land, the rural lands in Australia. It's too expensive to have them in higher fire risk areas, so they're simply going to encourage them to get off and back into the cities. People don't know what Agenda 21 actually represents, and it's a very uh, it's a very hard subject to really grasp. Could you explain a little bit about Agenda 21 and mm-hmm. how it affects us all every day wherever we live? You have to go into the Millennium Report. That was the first report that that blossomed into Agenda 21 from the United Nations. And Agenda 21 eventually got so well known by different people in the patriot community that on the UN's own website, and I've got, I kept the article here, I saved it, because they always disappear, uh, but they actually were advised, all those participating in Agenda 21 were advised to change their names for different areas and different counties and use terms like sustainable, Sustainability Council, uh, the Eco Council, etc., it literally is a system for the, 20, the whole 20th century, the century of change, the change that Obama was talking about. And it's to bring in the world, the total world uh, socialist society into the, these communes or communitarian areas or regions that you're going to be locked up in, basically. And how you're going to work together for a new system, not for personal profit, by the way but for the good of the community, as they say. Mind you, they have already trained the community leaders, and they're no different than the old Soviet-style leaders. Uh, the end of private property is part of it. Uh, the end of public trans- uh, private transportation is a big part of it. It says in Agenda 21, you will no longer need personal um, cars or vehicles because uh, you'll be riding on public transportation only uh, put on by the state although you'll pay for that as well. Uh, there'll be no private property. It'll be rental accommodation only. Uh, so that's, that's part of Agenda 21. And p- the rest of it is to make sure this is happening in every country through treaties at the United Nations at the same time uh, to, to bring in a world society of, of under this guise of sustainability. That's the big con of sustainability we can't go on this sake being a consumer society. People like Maurice Strong and even Holdren, by the way, in the U.S., have said there must never be another United States of America. And they've said that the best thing they could do to America, and this is the big boys who created Agenda 21 for the United Nations, they said um, the best thing they could do is to tear down the remaining factories, uh, level them, uh, rip out all these suburban areas where the workers lived, etc., and demolish them and as though they'd never been and return vast areas of the United States back to nature. Now, it's interesting that Obama has already authorized the go-ahead 
of the tearing down of the urban areas around what was the industrial area cities. Uh, so it's all it's going ahead as planned, as I say. But they're using Agenda 21 under the eco-advisory uh, committees that are appointed to every council now. They're not elected. They're all appointees to councils and to the federal government. So would, would, would Detroit be a, a fairly good example of this? Yeah, that's their primary example to start with, Detroit. Uh, I have also looked into this happening in Australia, elsewhere in the world, and I looked into the Department of uh, Australian Architects because the architects have been given a project for the last 10 years to build what they call uh, urban crushers. And these are like big science fiction monsters that literally come in and crush whole areas, whole suburban areas with no problem at all. They, they have uh, drawings up there on the, in the Ministry of, of, um, for, for Architects in Australia, for, for the colleges. And they, they have built quite a few of them. So they've got an awful lot of crushing to do yet, of course. Um, now, David Suzuki said the same thing for Canada a few years ago. He's also in on the Jenna 21 sustainability. And uh, Maurice Strong, his pal, uh, and he said the same thing, that eventually all the people from the rural area will be moved into the cities and they'll try and make these cities more pleasurable, more bike paths and so on, since you won't have cars. And, of course, experts will then guide us from cradle to grave on what our function will be to serve the state. That will be your duty, to serve the state. You've got to understand it's a very old agenda, and it goes back to the Royal Institute of International Affairs that Quigley wrote for on their behalf. He was their historian, also called the CFR in the United States. And uh, they, they talked about sustainable communities bringing down rapid uh, depopulation in certain areas, as they said. And um, it's a planned society we're going into, a real planned society where you will need permission to breed, uh, very shortly in fact. And there's eugenics under another guise, of course, but you'll need permission to, to breed, and that is coming very, very quickly. Yeah. So if, you, if we were on a scale of a 1 to 100, how far along would you say that Agenda 21 is? Uh, looking at all the different treaties and the parts which have been implemented, uh, you're already 60% there. Uh, the watershed, um, the deal that was pushed through as well, uh, the, the national and state and local watershed committees all came out of Agenda 21 from the United Nations. Uh, they did send people across the U.S. talking to different local town councils and so on. Uh, and they came up with the brilliant idea that n- no water can belong to anyone, even if you drill it under your house. Uh, the rainwater from your home coming off your roof, a lot of places are fairly dry. In Canada and the States, of course, uh, have to uh, use rainwater that gar- comes into their basement, really, in a big holding tank. Well, that's illegal now. They just um, f- uh, find a guy and stopped his business who just opened up a business in one of the U.S. states. I think it was further south of you. And um, that was what they used, Agenda 21. Um, even though he built a brand new building and he was catching all the rainwater, they said it interfered with the ecological systems and the natural watershed. However, he's lucky that other uh, people have come out on his behalf saying it's utter nonsense other studies prove that uh, the water from your roof and saving it has no effect whatsoever on the watershed. What they claimed under Agenda 21 is that anywhere that rain falls is a watershed and therefore that water cannot be- belong to any particular individual. They want one organization under the United Nations to own the water supply of the world. And you'll have to buy it from them. United States, it went from navigationable or navigatable waterways to all waterways. Is that correct? On the stream? Yes. In fact, Obama signed an executive order about a week or so ago uh, furthering that very uh, agenda uh, to include uh, sea water, all, all rivers, the Great Lakes, and pretty well everything else, even even the pond in your back garden, I guess, if, if you use water from the tap, well, it belongs really to to the state itself, really to the United Nations, and um, things are changing rapidly because of this. Yeah. 
Okay, and has, has that list, you know, I know there was a bill in, in Congress, I, I can't remember the bill number in the United States anyway, has that bill gone through or is it still in legislation? I think it's still in legislation, however, Obama did uh, try to pass it a few days ago with an executive order, I don't know what's happened with that. It, it also included all fisheries around the coast as well. First of all, I want to also, you know, anyone that wants to come up and ask a question of Alan Watt, please just come up to the microphone. Don't be afraid. Um, one question that I really wanted to ask you tonight, because this is sort of a esoteric debate that I've heard before. Do you think <laughs> that the New World Order or the, the Agenda 21 world, when it is to its 100% mark, do you think it will resemble the 1984 model or the Brave New World model, <laughs> yep. because right now it's appearing that Soma is the opiate of that. So if you could answer that, that would be great. Well, it's really a mixture of both right now, because since 9-11 you've been trained that cops in the cities with machine guns, uh, with combat gear on, um, and so on, uh, checking you too, getting on a bus even or a train. Um, you've been trained gradually through the Orwellian phase of it. This was set up, of course, by the previous administration for this administration to come in, in fact, and use. Uh, because they do expect, before they can take you into the complete Brave New World scenario, uh, a, a time where people will riot and rebel when they find out they technically own nothing, not even their own water, and they're going to be gouged down to a, say, about a third world status. Um, the U.S. again has tacked on, for instance, uh, rather than cut the emissions by, I think it was 20%, to try and go by for 30%. That means, too, you're going to have uh, 30% less people burning fuel in the wintertime in certain areas to, to make this target. It's obvious. How else can you do it? So we're going through the Orwellian for, uh, area uh, by force, by force and threat and intimidation, once this generation, this is what they've said in their own writings, and because these guys work incrementally through generations, intergenerational, the same way as the Soviets did it. And uh, once this generation dies off, those in their, in their, say, in their 40s and 50s and 60s die off, uh, they've already trained the children beginning at kindergarten for this brave new world scenario that they're growing up in, and they will adapt into it quite normally. Uh, completely unable to, to relate to anybody who is older than themselves. They'll think everything's quite natural. So uh, that's how they've done it. Beria talked about this system. He was the NKVD leader in the Soviet Union uh, up to, I think, 1940. Stalin had him killed eventually. But uh, he was a cr very cruel and vindictive person. He ran Communist International, or Comintern. And at, at the Comintern speech in '34, he said, it used to take 70 years to, to basically indoctrinate a new young group growing up as the old group died off. It took a span of 70 years. This is now we can upgrade the system using scientific indoctrination in school by every four to five years. And he said eventually we'll be, it'll be even much faster than that. And he's, he's right. Uh, the, the children going into kindergarten today are getting uh, a much further indoctrination, ready for what they'll experience down the road in life, and therefore they'll accept it as normal. But they're getting it today, and that's more than the ones who, who got last year and the year before them. This is incremental indoctrination. It's a perfect system. It's quite amazing when you read it and study it. And it was developed by Lord Bertrand Russell back in the 1940s. Well, that's really important to understand the incrementalism. It's never a sudden change, although in the future, who knows? But for the most part, everything that's changed is extremely slowly and so it's like watching the grass grow you don't yeah. notice and all of a sudden it's right listen I have someone here that wants to ask you a question mm -hmm. hello Alan um, very much appreciate your work and with that in mind um, what do we um, what can we do as informed individuals now strive for I mean try to communicate with our families and whatnot. <coughs> but what actions can we do to uh on a daily basis right now, it's mm -hmm. What you can do is go to your, your, right down to your local councils even, and go through the records of every treaty even your local council has signed, because they sign treaties as well on behalf of the UN. 
and find out what they've passed for your areas and then demand a full public inquiry so that this is put to the citizenry because after all, since it involves all of the citizenry, they should participate in, in these particular things, not the councils done in secrecy. It should be all in the open for the general public to have a say on. And uh, my, my city council might be in a separate treaty than my state or country? Yes. What they've done, for instance, with the commutarian idea is they've gone from council to council. You understand, too, um, in the U.S. and every other country in the world right now, there's an international association of mayors, for one thing. Every mayor uh, belongs to a, a council, a universal council, through the United Nations. Every chief of police across the United States belongs to the Chief Police Association, which goes through the United Nations. They even have their own TV stations for the police. And they're told uh, directly from the United Nations uh, what their particular role is to try and change within their own communities, uh, right down to the bottom level. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. When you say associations, you mean you're, you're basically referring to co- corporations that are foreign? Pretty well, yeah. They, they formed these corporations or associations of police chiefs a long time ago, and um, that's where they get all their indoctrination from for this wonderful, brave new world future they're bringing in. So the mayors have them too, International Mayors Association, and they also have them for for um, various councillors themselves, high councillors. They have world associations they all tap into as well. That's why everything's proceeding across the world at the same pace in every country. So are you saying that, that we should be political? You have to not just be political. You've got to also remember that everything that's been done has been against uh, uh, the law of the United States. Uh, the United States Constitution was meant to have things out, always out in the open for the citizenry to know what's going on. And it's been, this has been done covertly through agreements and uh, treaties through United Nations uh, to bring you into a post-democratic society. And that's what it says in Agenda 21, post uh, 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 Democratic, because and the Club of Rome also says the same thing. Uh, the two founders of the Club of Rome, who work for the Royal Institute or CFR, um, they're a think tank for the CFR. Uh, the Club of Rome said in their own book, um, uh, uh, what was it called? Now it was. They put a book out. The two founders, anyway, these, and it's all on my website. But they said uh, that. Um, the system we are bringing in is a post-democratic society. We cannot have democracy. It must be run on authoritarian principle. And we have been getting run on authoritarian principle, as I say, since 9-11, rather openly, too. All under the guise of keeping us safe. But what they've really done is bypassed all the, the legitimate rights of the citizens, because in the States, at least, and this is the key to this, if anything happens in the world to change something, I've said this for years, it has to come from the U.S., because no other country in the world has even an idea that they ever even had rights. The British Constitution is supposedly an oral one, and no one's ever written it down. It's like a rubber band. Um, do, you, do you feel that, that you mentioned the United States and the people here, do you feel that we, as a people, still have a chance to, to do some legitimate you know, changing here, and, and what I mean is, um, you mentioned these Agenda 21 and all these ancient treaties that they can, you know, many, many years, all these different plans. How do we, it, it seems as if the powerful, there's no real way to fight that on a political level. What can we as individuals do? Um, as an example, I have friends that they just want to quit their job and go farm. Mm-hmm. How do we fight this? You can fight it on the individual level. Um, you can uh, fight it, um, again, by uh, preparing for the worst because it's going to be a long battle. Um, you could also fight it uh, as a group by going to your newspapers and inserting, uh, and not just, just pay for a column, and you write the column yourself. They can, they'll put that in if you pay for that, to tell the public what's happening. Uh, for the first time, you're allowed to do that, especially in the small papers, which are out of the hands of the big chains, uh, and let the people know what's happening. And they have no need to go along with a treaty in which they did not participate. 
in the debate. You've had no debate in any treaty organization. Uh, you've had no debate in the Earth Charter that was a, a part of this whole big um, treaty as well. The Earth Charter gave all the rights to animals and trees and none to the humans. Okay, so what you're talking about then are are treaties that are from from a foreign body, meaning the United Nations. Yes. Which the United States or pretty much any other country has no business being in. But the problem that I well, not a problem, but I do I do want to point out. Now you keep mentioning that things can't be democratic. Now, as I understand it, the the, the, the very concept of democracy is a is a communist. Mm-hmm. Platform, uh, meaning majority rule. It is and it isn't. I'll tell you, it isn't and it isn't. And here, here's, the, here's the little trick here. Uh, Plato describes it again. He, he said himself that you have to have a republic. And he said he, in fact, would use a republican system to bring in his particular idea of the perfect world system, which, again, was to be ruled in authoritarian fashion in his particular idea, the, the book called The Republic. But he did say that totalitarian regimes preferred democracy because the public uh, trusts those at the top. Today we trust, well, most folk trust the media. They really honestly believe the media. Brzezinski commented on that too in his book Between Two Ages. He said that eventually the public will think of the media as an extension of their own reasoning power. They'll expect the media to do the reasoning for them. That has happened for most people. They don't realize these are, these are private organizations with uh, bosses who go off to get knighted by the queen. They're barons, media barons, and they belong to the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Trilateral Commission, CFR, and all the rest of it. But what they do know is that they can always promise to the, to the bulk of the populace uh, what the public want to hear, and therefore uh, they will vote the way that they want them to vote. In other words, you can count on the masses. The masses don't really come up with ideas themselves. They listen to the boys at the top who promise them the most, and that's who they go for. So they love the idea of democracy because they can use the masses, the, the people who don't think and who want all the freebies that they're promised. It doesn't matter if they materialize as long as they get the, the party in that's promising them the most stuff. That's really how it works. Uh, but uh, a republic is a different thing. Republic is where there's a form of democracy regarding voting people in uh, into a system. There should also be a way of getting them out if, if they lie and, and don't fulfill what they said. But uh, a republic is to stop the takeover of the initial ideas of freedoms from a people, the people who founded it. And the founding fathers of the U.S. knew their histories better than anyone knows their histories today. They studied Latin, Greek, and so on in the histories. So they knew uh, that uh, the, the cons, like Plato said, uh, democracy always, uh, always ends up in, in communism and totalitarianism and dictatorship. Yes? I have a, I have a, a couple of questions here. Now, it seems to me like you said something about... They want us to be riding the bus, the trains, and bicycles in front of the cars. Is that what I heard? Yeah. So they don't want the cars anymore? They don't want the cars anymore, and I knew that when I was a child. Because I used to wonder. I, yeah. Are they trying to get us to accept, say, uh, a car that doesn't go very far, like an electric car? We can't leave town if we really wanted to without a long transport. Yeah, the, these cars that they're bringing now, then the hybrids, etc., are just stopgap measures until we get used to having no cars at all. Again, they, they're just, they can phase them out over a 10, 15, 20-year period, you know. Right. Okay, so uh, the gradual phase out of the cars is, like you say, 15, 20 years or so, mm-hmm. longer. And maybe even shorter, depending if they make an oil crisis and start rationing gasoline. Okay, and uh, you said something about the water, saying that they, they're making treaties with the water, so uh, so the cities and the states and can't control their water now? What, what they're doing, and this started in Britain uh, quite a, a few years back, where Britain, like every other country, used a nationalized system where the public paid for the big uh, roadways to be built, they paid for 
their gas systems to be built uh, through their tax money. They paid for their electric companies even to be built and their water systems. And four politicians were put into Parliament with the, ob- the object of uh, putting a bill in to privatize the entire country's water supply. Uh, and those four guys did it. They put it in. It was obviously set up and, and with higher ones behind them. Uh, they put in the bill. It was passed. Uh, they then immediately left politics. They were all knighted. And they became the first CEOs of the first privatized water company. Since then, uh, they're going over natural gas. They're going for natural gas in Canada and the water supply and other countries as well. They, they will eventually be the water company, supply company for the entire planet. And the water company is going to be controlled from central uh It will be through the United Nations, because under the Watershed Act, there was a treaty from the United Nations as international, and therefore no country can claim that the water uh, uh, is for their use only. The water lands on their country, it goes through it, it's for the whole world, that's what they're claiming. And you're saying that if if the United States citizens do not stop it, That's correct. You have to stop it. Uh, Understand, too, um, when the U.S. was set up, it gave everybody the ability to participate in where their country would go. And you cannot have covert signings of treaties where the public are kept in utter ignorance that they're even going on. Uh, and signed into law by governments who are supposed to serve their own people who know nothing about these treaties till after they're passed and uh, or until they're implemented. That's generally when we find out about them. And uh, that's illegal. That is illegal. So uh, these treaties have to all be torn up and tossed out the window and, and you get back to the basic constitution again where the government starts serving the public. That's the, the biggest lesson They'd have to learn. They know this too, by the way. And we have to work on our local city or county or, or state government to make sure that we understand what kind of treaties they're involved in. Either change the people in office or get the ones that are in office to get us out of these treaties. Absolutely. In fact, you've you got to demand these treaties are completely torn up uh, because they are not uh, part of the U.S. Constitution whatsoever. They're against all your Bill of Rights. The internationalists wants to destroy the whole the whole Bill of Rights. In fact, uh, the United Nations has come out with its own Charter of Rights, and uh, uh, and every country's pretty well signed on to it without telling their public about it. But it's up there, so you can, you can go and read it for yourself. Listen, there's a just for my audience here. There's a a very very beautifully done uh, documentary. I don't know if Alan's seen it or not, but it's called Flow. F L O W. And it goes through the corporate takeover of water throughout the entire country and the entire world. Mm-hmm. And it shows what it does to the populations, the indigenous peoples. Uh, it's, 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 it's all in one a sad and also inspirational movie. So I highly recommend that if you want to understand what's happening to the water supply, how it's being corporately taken over. And I was wondering if you could tell people, now I knew that long a, a while ago, uh, President Bush, you know, Bush Jr. there, uh, bought some ridiculous amount of land in, in Paraguay, I believe, and yep. uh, took over all the water rights in that country. Can you expound on that? He did. Um, not only that, he passed a law at the same time where uh, if you were sitting on a, on a house where some big corporation says, I, I need the minerals under that house, or I want that to build a big shopping place or something for business, uh, that they can simply, uh, the stroke of a pen, take over that property, pay you peanuts for it, and build what they want. Now, that, that in itself is illegal. Um, but the, f- the first person to use the law that was passed was Bush Jr. himself. And he bought a little place in, in New York and kicked the folk off it and built, had something built on, on its place. I mean, that, this is tyranny you're looking at here. But the water flow thing, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, uh, this has been well planned for so long as part of what they also call interdependence at the United Nations. You've heard this term interdependence. Most people thought initially the way it was put out that it meant that, well, you see, every country to avoid war, 
cannot have all the means of production of war materials in their own country. That's factories and so on. Therefore, what you need uh, will be scattered across the world and will all make parts of things and will be interdependent. That's how they first sold this to the public 20 years ago. But now we hear what is getting closer and closer as it keep changing the meaning and redefining it. What it really means is personal interdependence, meaning no individual can be completely independent and live self-sustainably themselves and survive. You must be hooked into their system for everything that you need for living, water, food, energy, all of that kind of stuff, personal interdependence. Yeah. Again, we're entering into a dependence and eventually into pretty much slavery. Listen, I've got a young man here. Tell, you, tell me your name and your age. Chase, and I'm 12. All right, that's your question. Okay. I'm a 12-year-old boy going to 7th grade, and um, I, I, know, I want to know what to do from getting indoctrinated into their plan. To stop being indoctrinated into the plan uh, starts... At school, you might have an ability, some children do have the ability, uh, even though they're using a scientific indoctrination, uh, to embed ideas in your head, uh, along with emotions when they show you wildlife and all the rest of it, and they'll keep showing the same clear-cutting pictures have been showing for the last 50 years, um, with the emotion and the music in the background and, and the sadness and all that. If you're able to recognize that you're going through an indoctrination process at school, not an education to help you with truth, but indoctrination uh, using all techniques at their disposal, then you'll be able to to survive if you can keep quiet enough going through school. And I I had the same thing going through school. I thought everyone thought as I did. I thought everyone went and studied as I did to find out what was going on in the world. And I I was about maybe... Nine or ten, when I realized that no, not everybody in my class did at all. It was that, that floored me. It really floored me. I could see through the cons, the tricks, uh, but um, I thought everyone else did the same, but they didn't. And I realized quite too that if I was um, asking too many questions in the classroom, then I was being singled out with suspicion. You know, they get very suspicious of you if you know too much, especially more than they do. Uh, teachers don't like that. They, nowadays, they put you on drugs. To avoid that, you simply go play. I, I, I literally acted my way through school. And when they wanted certain answers, I'd give them the answers they expected to keep them happy. Uh, otherwise, I'd have been on a whole bunch of medications myself. Uh, so you've got to study, be very careful about it. Uh, don't feel like spouting off to your classmates at the same age. They won't understand what you're talking about. Um, don't try to... Um, Show off in the class as to how much you know about the real big agenda because you'll be put on. Everyone is being monitored at school. Every individual has a big file kept on them at school. Um, Just play the game, learn to act, but educate yourself at the same time because you are uh, the future leaders. They're coming along for your generation and you're going to have a a tough job because I think your generation is getting more a specialized indoctrination into this new interdependent system than any previous generation. But it's not hopeless. You, you can actually use your time when you've got access to, to good libraries and so on. You can use this time to really educate yourself about this global agenda. Uh, just don't uh, show off with it. Keep, keep quiet about it. Yeah. What you're saying is that it's okay to be different, but it's not necessarily okay to... <laughs> Uh, let everybody know that you're different in certain situations. So what, I mean, personally, I used to just sit back in the back of the class and read mm-hmm. myself. That was my thing. I wanted to get my homework done, and so I didn't have to do it at home, so I could do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, would you say the most important thing is to recognize who the who the important people are in, in the world, which are, are not Britney Spears and mm-hmm. Paul and uh, the, the things that are portrayed in the media that, that all the kids are talking about. And, yeah. you know, is it okay to be different? Is it okay not to wear the latest fashions? I mean, if you have to wear the same shoes as everybody, I think, uh, speak to that. Absolutely. Uh, you, you don't go with the flow. If you have the intellect anyway, you already know that as a child. 
that that's part of some sideshow that we're all supposed to be uh, running after. It's so self-evident. If you're, if you, regardless of your age, I've met children who who see through all that, uh, who are really young, as I did myself. And, and it's yeah, it's definitely okay to be different and to be confident within yourself. The more you learn what's really happening in the world, the more confident you will become. And you will become a leader one day as well. Now, here's the danger again. I had people coming up from Oxford and Eton and so on when I was as young as eight years old trying to get me to sign up for there because I didn't know at the time until I read one of Bertrand Russell's books who was a big planner for this whole agenda. And he said, uh, those children who understand what's happening, who have the right intellect, we have to recruit them to work for us. But the condition must be they must leave all their old ways, including their family, behind them. And they will put them into the Ivy League universities. Once they have the the, the camaraderie and and they're accepted and they find out that their life is going to be an easy sail through, doors will open for them, they'll be well paid, uh, then they'll stay with us forever. He says, but for those who have those same abilities who will not join us, we will have to eradicate. remember that uh, evil and ominous forces have come against people in the past. Uh, I'd certainly say this is the worst one because it's been so long in the planning. Incremental, they knew not to rush ahead too quickly. In fact, if they tried this immediately after World War II, actually they did try to bring in uh, the universal world system, then the American public were not ready. They would have fought right away for it, and they knew that. They did surveys on it at the end of World War II so that it'd be incremental and slow about it. However, even though it's ominous and it seems overwhelming, because most of it's done so covertly and out of the the media, as you say, the media is there to keep you entertained and misled, Um, it it is not still impossible. Um, It's amazing to me how one person here and there who is well-informed can literally uh, change so many around them so many around them to be active and to give them. And, and actually it helps to grow confidence in them once they become active. But in a spiritual sense, um, you cannot fight anything which is evil by being neutral in this stance. Uh, evil can't do anything except continue being evil. And the characters involved in all of this, when I go through their personalities, I, they hear my head stands up sometimes when I read about them. They are incredibly evil, but I've never seen such an amount of people who are utterly arrogant and who believe they have the right to rule the world, way beyond Adolf Hitler or Stalin. And um, they will be utterly ruthless on the people if they get their way. They're already trying to be ruthless, uh, and uh, a lot of people are succumbing. But in a spiritual sense, you understand in times of hardship and trouble, etc., People who have a a positive spiritual outlook on things can do an awful, awful lot because they realize that we're only here for a short space of time on earth anyway. You have nothing to lose by coming forward, uh, putting your face in the limelight and being active and knowing uh, that there's a good power in the world. Uh, You feel it once and then, once in a while. Uh, There's a a good power when you're doing the right thing. it's, It's definitely there. It's tangible. And um, we are in a battle between good and evil. I've never had any doubts about that. Um, 
I've never had doubts uh, that it works through people. I've seen evil people, very evil people, uh, who've talked about depopulation to my face, who've attended world, uh, the, the, the United Nations meetings. And um, I sense something in them which is foreign to me, completely foreign to me. Um, they're dictatorial, and there's no way I'm going to stand by and, and allow these people eventually to come to power and full, uh, rising up to full power and lording over me. This, it will not, will not happen. I will not allow it to happen at all. And neither should you. When you're fighting evil, you're doing the right thing, and uh, you will find more and more like-minded people coming along with you. What's happening is anti-human. You understand? This is anti-human uh, to bring us into what they, they call a controlled society where they'll tell you who can breed, who can't breed, uh, where they want to do transhumanism, uh, uh, literally alter the genes of uh, conception to bring up the kind of children uh, that they think should be born. This is this all came out of Darwinism and uh, uh, the Freudianist outlook as well and existentialism. Uh, this all came out of the same movement where they believe they can create supermen and special people, eugenics, etc., um, to run the world. Well, because a person can have a certain IQ level doesn't mean they're a good person. You'll find most of these characters uh, are, are uh, incredibly egotistical. They're, they're, as far as I'm concerned, they're as egotistical as any Hitler. And we, our job is to get, to make sure these characters stay out of our lives and to keep them in safe places away from us rather than let them lord over us. We also have got to get back to, again, the constitution and say, look, there's nothing in this constitution that, that says that foundations and so-called philanthropic powers with multi-trillions of dollars can fund non-governmental organizations, which they often create, uh, as a, as a form of democracy, uh, these people do not get elected by the public. The NGOs don't get elected by the public. And yet, under Agenda 21, uh, these uh, local leaders, these community leaders, are to be given tremendous powers to lord over you. Now, you've got to realize that if there's no constitution, if no one's following the constitution, then there is no law. These people are lawless. They're making up their own laws as they go along. And it's the duty of anyone uh, to stand up against a lawless society, no matter what garb it pretends it's under and what flag it still waves. The fact is, if you are not going by the law, uh, then you're, uh, you're an outlaw. And that's what so many of the politicians have done by signing these treaties. That's what the foundation leaders have done. Everyone knows what the Rockefellers and the Ford and Carnegie Foundations have, have done to the United States. They admitted it during the 1950s when the, the Rees Commission went in, uh, authorized by the Congress. And Norman Dodds is, is up on YouTube. In fact, he'll, he'll tell you, he says uh, he met the CEO of Ford, Carnegie, Rockefeller Foundations. And the guy from Ford tell, told him, he says, our job is to so change the culture in America through education, through the school system, and so on, that eventually they can they can blend seamlessly and join uh, the Soviet Union without any problem at all. Uh, and that has been done. The West has been so drastically altered. And it ties in with what uh, Lenin said, that the, the dictatorship would last 70 years, and then it would be not quite communist, not quite capitalist when they joined the West. That's what we're in now. It's a world socialist, communitarian, authoritarian society. Uh, this isn't written in no one's law books or, or constitution. Therefore, it's illegal and it has to go. Okay, we've got one more question here from uh, one of my audience members. Uh, hi, Alan. Uh, thank you for all your research and all your contributions to the truth. Um, interdependence is a reality. Uh, the fact that the NWO has co-opted that term for their sociopathic agenda doesn't change it. Um, yeah, I mean, but we all came from tribal societies initially, and technically these were these were not communist in any Marxist idealistic way. Everyone 
was necessary for the tribe's survival, everyone. And therefore, anyone too who was hurt or whatever was looked after by the tribe because everyone mattered. That's the difference, big caring, everyone mattered. In a moneyed society run by economics, where your value in society is literally put down by your economic income, the UN has said, in fact, that a good citizen, a good world citizen, is a good producer and consumer. Therefore, if you're, if you're only consuming and not producing, if you're retired, you're a bad citizen. Uh, interdependence to the extent where you have true community. Parts of the U.S. had true community, same in Canada, same in Britain and elsewhere, where people helped each other out. And here's how they destroyed that natural system. The government decided to bring in governmental agencies that would take over. Uh, like Lenin said, too, in the West, he says they'll bring in agencies that will be services, and those services will then become authorities over the public. That has happened. And that, the intention of that was initially to destroy the natural, the natural community interdependence, where if someone was sick, and I did it when I was small, we carried food to people who got back from hospital, they had cancers, that were being looked after in their homes. Everyone helped, everyone chipped out. No one uh, asked for money back for anything at all. That was natural community. That's what gets the average person through the hard times and families through the hard times. That's a caring community. And there's no demands made, made on anyone. We were not accountable to any hierarchy telling us what to do. Um, this interdependence they're bringing in is an interdependence from the top to the bottom. Uh, it's, it's a, a pyramid-type system. They've already trained the community leaders in Britain uh, under a, a group, a massively funded group uh, um, called uh, Common Purpose. And so they're ready to, to start ordering everyone around in their community and still keeping the social services that can take your children from you and so on, or the health authorities that come in and that are not services anymore, they can mandate inoculations and stuff like that. That's the difference uh, of what they mean by interdependence. Interdependence to them is taking away everybody's right to survive if they need to on their own. Yeah, it's the difference between rights and and privileges, rights being God-given and privileges being given by the state, correct? Yep. Okay. Um, and again, you know, right here in Utah, uh, there are many groups, many communities that have formed that are prepared to go and form a community if anything really does happen. Mm-hmm. There's still places in Colorado where there's no building permits, there's no essentially no law because no government has been established in this particular area. There's, a, there's, there's cities uh, that aren't even cities. They're just areas where there's these communities in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And you can join these communities. So uh, one more question from Manan. Yeah, uh, yes, it is my understanding the New World Order wants only one religion. Uh, what is this religion like? Is there anybody practicing this religion now? And how are they going to implement this? It, it's, it's, it's amazing, too, because you, you seldom get truth from those who are involved in it themselves at the high levels. Um, Maurice Strong, for instance, a big player at the United Nations, he was first picked up by uh, Rockefeller when he was a young man. Uh, he was pushed into the oil industries as a CEO to see how they all worked. He's worked at the United Nations for about 40 years now. Um, he uh, also owns the, the, the Baca Grande Ranch in, in the United States, um, where he brings in a new, all the New Age cult groups, Buddhists, everything you can imagine, and he meditates to what he believes, uh, and Rockefeller himself believes, is uh, the, the masters, the hidden masters. Now, they believe themselves they are the masters. They're the natural masters that came to Earth to control the world, uh, they didn't have to come here. They came, they came supposedly to help mankind that was lost, yada, yada. But it really, they're totalitarian in everything that they do. Uh, other ones like Gorbachev, Michael Gorbachev, uh, said in one of his books, I think, Towards a New Civilization, he said uh, that we are in the process of creating a new world religion and it must be based on a form of earth worship. Well, that's sustainability, that's the greening thing. Uh, they're being taught this in school, that the Gaia theory is the one that rules. We're all part of one big whole thing, a living organism. 
And uh, that's what he was referring to. But in the same book, he says that he is an atheist. So he's an atheist sitting on a panel creating a religion for the rest of the public, the children to follow. That's quite something. Other ones are the humanists, uh, the existentialists, who believe uh, that anything that humans can do, including all tiny minorities with perversions, is a human act and therefore a normal act. And therefore they're pushing for the total destruction of uh, what they call the Christian God. That's the big target, I must admit, is the Christian God. And they want that completely removed. Um, and existentialism and moral relativity, where there's no really right and wrong on anything to become the, the, the ultimate religion on the planet. But in reality, Gorbachev is probably closer to the truth, where they're creating a greening religion it's indoctrinated into, into the children right now through cartoons with the greening agenda, sustainability, uh, energy consumption, uh, wildlife, animals, and the trees and all that kind of stuff. But they're run by a new priesthood. The, the new priesthood are the scientists who, who wear the white coats. That's the new priesthoods. They're teaching the children. So it is a religion. It's, uh, it's been taught as a belief system because their facts don't fit at all reality. So it's a belief system, and they hope to indoctrinate them so thoroughly that they'll be, be unable to break their indoctrination. Can, can science and religion coexist? Dr. Uh, professor Stephen Jones here, who's a very godly uh, professor of science. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that religion and science can, can be friends? They can be friends only if science comes out. You understand that most science is really based on theories. And because it's based on theories, which is really an, uh, the best guess that most folk are uh, going along with at the time in the same field, they say, well, that's the best guess. That will be the theory for the time being. We've had so many cons in the past through sciences, uh, like the Piltdown Man for evolution and all the rest of it. That was taught... People got their thesis in university by doing, doing them on the, the Piltdown Man. And it wasn't for 40 years that they took it out of the museum, they tested the bone structure and found that someone had put a pig's jaw on the bottom of a human skull. Uh, so we've had so many cons pulled by science to get a definite agenda through to do with, oh, it's evolution, evolution. The next evolution is to be transhuman into the Superman, etc., uh, etc., because this is a world socialist society and socialism always goes towards a superman and transhumanism. Uh, that's what they're pushing. So um, can it be a compromise? Compromise can only come when science uh, gives as, as equal respect to religion. Equal respect. And doesn't try to dominate that religion. Uh, here's the key too. Science since the 1500s and this is when it all broke out with Rosicrucianism, uh, alchemy, and so on. Now, the true alchemists were not into changing gold or lead into gold or, or making man, taking the base metal, man himself lead and creating a superman then. That was all allegory. The true alchemists were into chemistry, which was way ahead of what anybody really knew at the time. We were always given low-end or, 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 or latent science. Science is always way ahead because science is knowledge and power. So it's never shared with the public. Whatever you, you're, you get dished out on the bottom level to consume is old, obsolete stuff. Now, Ian Taylor wrote an excellent book. He's a scientist in Canada, uh, well-renowned scientist too. And he wrote a book, and it was called um, Darwin in the Minds of Men, and then subtitled Darwin and the New World Order. And in it, he gives the most concise uh, rendition of what science is all about demolishes so many theories by what they also know, admits that so many theories are simply put forward for political agendas and gives the facts to back it all up. It's a must-read book. Um, but he said himself that the scientific community, which again runs through the United Nations and all the grant makers and all the big foundations that give them the cash, have made it up their policy to attack religion. Churches have been attacked since, since the 1500s, uh, and people have no idea of the incredible war against religion, especially the religions of the West, uh, for 500 years. 
and it's still going on today. Hollywood has been a big part of it too, of course, because they want it demolished. They have their reasons for put it, for, for demolishing it. And religion has been the biggest problem, according to H.G. Wells, for their agenda even back in his time. He said because it always came down to who should the citizen obey, their God or the government. He said our job is to, is to make sure that they'll only obey the government. Therefore, religion has to be completely removed. So that's the biggest fear of the agenda. If the government is ordering you all to do something which is against your morality or against your, your belief system to your God, then you have the choice. Are you going to obey that government or your God? And government has said that when government is in full control, there'll be nothing to stand between you and them when they come down to talk to you like George Orwell portrayed in 1984. There's no one to stand around you as an individual, and they don't want you having some moral qualms about being a god and disobeying government.